Hello, everyone. I'm Consuelo Mack. Welcome to this Web Extra edition of WealthTrack. 2018 is going to be a year of big financial changes for many of us because of the new tax bill. But regardless of how you are affected personally, there are key steps you can take to cut taxes, save money, and boost your retirement funds. And I am delighted to be joined by Kim Lankford, one of the savviest personal finance journalists around. She is an award-winning columnist and journalist for Kiplinger's Personal Finance Magazine. And Kim has put together a list for us of seven smart financial moves for the new year. And I would highly recommend that our listeners take notes because these actions will make 2018 a better year financially. So, Kim, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you very much for having me. So let's take them from the top of your smart financial moves list. And the first one is boost your 401k contributions in 2018. Well, this is always the perfect time of year to reassess how much you're saving for retirement. And especially if you got a raise or a bonus, you may be able to set aside more money from each paycheck into your 401k without even noticing it. And also, there's a key thing is you can now contribute $500 more than you could last year. The maximum is $18,500 in 2018. And if you're 50 or older, you can still add an extra $6,000 in catch-up contributions as well. It's also important to keep in mind if you turn 50 anytime during the year, you can make those catch-up contributions even starting as early as January 1st. As long as you're going to be 50 or older by the end of the year, you qualify for those extra contributions. So max out those contributions. Take advantage of that tax-deferred status. Good advice. Um, Speaking of maxing out contributions, your second point, smart move, is that there is still time to make extra IRA contributions for 2017. You do. You have until the tax filing deadline, which this year is going to be April 17, 2018, to make your 2017 IRA contribution. And you can still invest up to $5,500 in an IRA or $6,500 if you're 50 or older. Um, There's also a few key things people don't realize. Um, If your spouse does not work, but you do, you can make an IRA contribution in his or her name. And also, if you have children that have any earnings from a job, no matter how old they are, even if they're just a teenager working at a swimming pool snack bar, um, they can set aside in an IRA up to their amount of earned income for the year um, with no more than that 5,500 limit as well. So there's several ways that you can contribute, still contribute for 2017, and any time in 2018 can make those contributions too. And there's an income phase-out, right, to qualify to make the Roth contributions? That's right, and that increases slightly each year. So you can make um, Roth contributions um, if you earned less than $120,000 if you're um, a single filer, or if you're married filing jointly, um, you need to earn less than $189,000, and that's to make the full contribution. And then you can make a partial contribution up until your income is $135,000 if single or one ninety nine if married filing jointly. And your third smart move for 2018 uh, is one of your you know, favorite recommendations, and it is, if you are able to, contribute to an HSA, a health savings account. 
And HSA is such a wonderful way to save for future medical expenses. It gives you a triple tax break that's really hard to find anywhere else. Um, If you have a high deductible health insurance policy um, with a deductible of at least um, $1,350 for self-only coverage or $2,700 for family coverage in 2018, then you can set aside money either pre-tax or um, tax deductible, depending on how you do it, in an HSA. It then grows tax deferred through the years. You don't have to use it by the end of the year like you do with a flexible spending account. You can keep it in the account growing in mutual funds for years in the future. And then when you finally do use it for medical expenses, you can take out that money tax-free. So, so many people with higher deductible health insurance policies and more out-of-pocket costs are spending so much more themselves on health care costs. This is just a great way to stretch those dollars. And one of the neat things about it as well, as you said, it can be health care related. So you can actually use it uh, to pay premiums, you know, for Medicare Part B and Part D and what, Medicare Advantage premiums after age, age 65. I mean, long-term care premiums, which are very expensive, long-term care expenses, right? That That is right. I mean, there's, there's certain types of premiums that you can use the money for and very specific rules. But after you're 65 years old, um, once you're on Medicare, you can no longer make new contributions to an HSA. And that's, you know, whether you're 65 or you may have delayed um, taking Medicare until later. But once you finally do sign up for Medicare, you can use the money in the HSA tax-free for Medicare Part B premiums, Part D prescription drug premiums, and Medicare Advantage premiums. One thing, you can't use it for um, Medicare supplement premiums. Um, But as you mentioned, you can also, and this is even before age 65, um, use it for a portion of long-term care insurance premiums. And the amount that you can take tax-free is based on your age. It gets larger as you get older. And it's really, really a great way to help afford some of those more expensive long-term care premiums. And one more question, Kim, on your contributing to an HSA, and that is, is there an age at which uh, it doesn't make sense to open an HSA? I mean, you said that once you start taking um, Medicare, obviously, uh, you can't contribute anymore. But, uh, you know, any advice for, you know, those of us who are older who maybe have not had an HSA? I think that anyone who is eligible to, to contribute to an HSA, and so that would be anyone with, an, with a high-deductible HSA-eligible policy who hasn't signed up for Medicare, I think they really should at least contribute some money to the account. Because the key thing is that even though you can no longer contribute after you're on Medicare, you can use that money, save that in the account, growing in mutual funds for years and years in the future, could even cover some of your medical expenses in your 60s, or you could save it into your 70s. And you know, the, the numbers about how much people are going to have to pay for out-of-pocket health care costs in retirement, this is even after they're on Medicare, are just staggering. And this is just a great way to take advantage of some of those tax breaks and build that fund that you can use for some of those premiums and out-of-pocket costs even long in the future. And Kim, those costs are staggering, and we will be talking about them and how to handle them at length with you on WealthTrack on public television, which everyone can access on our website, WealthTrack.com. One of my least favorite recommendations that you're giving us 
but uh, which also is essential. This is number four in your list is gather your tax records and purge your old tax files. And this is the time of year to start thinking about all of that. Um, you'll be getting some of your tax um, paperwork in the mail by the end of January, your 1099s and your W-2s especially, and just start to put together that folder that gets you ready for tax time so you're not scrambling around right before that deadline. Um, but the key thing is, you know, make sure that everything in those year-end statements that you're getting matches up with what you had during the year, whether it's from your pay stubs or whether it's from some of your bank statements. And then you can start to toss some of those things. If your year-end statements match your pay stubs, for example, or match some of your monthly statements, you can toss some of those things. Keep things that you'll need for taxes for at least three years after the tax filing deadline deadline because that's as long as the IRS has to initiate an audit in most cases. Um, but there are also some pieces of paperwork that you'll want to keep for longer, um, such as confirmations of stock purchases in a taxable account. You'll want to keep that as long as you hold that stock um, because you'll need that um, to establish your cost basis for tax purposes when you sell. And also records of home improvements. Um, you know, most people don't owe taxes on capital gains taxes um, when they sell their home these days because there's a, an exclusion um, of up to $500,000 for couples if you've been in your house for at least two of the fa past five years. But you never know if you um, end up moving before then or if you end up living in the house for a very long time and do have that much of a taxable gain. Keeping some of your home improvement records can help you reduce that taxable, um, taxable profit in the end. So just keep in mind things you need to hold on to, but then you can toss some things that are duplicates, and this is the perfect time of year to do it. And toss them into a shredder, which I am uh, definitely planning to make sure that I've got one. You had another point uh, in the gathering your tax records and purge your old tax files and the notes that you sent me. If you're getting a refund uh, to file your return as soon as possible after you receive your documents to thwart ID thieves, that so is, is, is that a real threat these days? It is. You know, two years ago, they had some really big problems with this. And last year, they had changed some of the procedures at the IRS um, to help prevent some of this um, ID ta tax ID theft. Um, but still, the best thing that you can do is to file your return as soon as you gather all that paperwork. And, I mean, first of all, if you're getting a refund, then you'll get that money faster. Um, but also, you'll get it instead of IDCs because people had been filing tax returns in other people's names and had been taking advantage of of that and getting and getting their check before the before the actual person had a chance to do that. So it's not as much of a problem as it is was about two years ago, but this is just an easy way to protect yourself. Number five, refresh your estate plans. This is another one of those things that's really not all that fun to do, but just put it on your calendar, do it once a year, and just take a look at your beneficiary designations for your insurance, your 401k, your IRAs, and all of those plans. Um, a lot of people don't realize that the beneficiary designations on those plans supersede anything you have in your will. So you may have updated your will if you were you know, married or divorced or had a child, but you may not have changed the beneficiary designations on your retirement plans or your insurance. And your money will go to whoever's the designated beneficiary, regardless of what your will says. So it's really a good idea. You know, a lot of this you can just check online, go into your account with, those, with the different financial institutions, and just make sure that the beneficiary that you want is still the person on that account. 
Number six is save money on insurance, and our audience should know that you are an acknowledged insurance expert. So tell us how we can save money on insurance. Well, especially auto insurance is usually a pretty big monthly cost for many people, and especially if you have teenage drivers. So you really just want to take advantage of all the opportunities you can to reduce those costs. And one thing is, you know, a lot of people back in the day used to have low deductibles, maybe about $200 or $250. And if you raise that deductible to $500 or even to $1,000 and keep the extra money in an emergency fund in case you do have a claim, you can actually save a significant amount on your premiums. And many people don't have a claim every year. So you'll be able to pocket that difference and, you know, use some of that premium savings to build up the emergency fund in case you do have a claim. Also, you know, bundling your home and auto insurance um, can get you a discount if you keep it with the same company. And if you have an umbrella policy, um, that can also give you a multi-policy discount with your insurer too. So keep that in mind. Um, Also, ask your insurer for a list of discounts and make sure you're getting credit for all of them. There's some really unusual discounts. Like most people know that good students, if you have a high school student with a B average or better or even a college student with a B average or better on your policy, um, they can get a big discount by keeping good grades. But if, for example, your student didn't have good grades when he first got his, um, got his license, but then they improved, be sure to let your insurance company know so you can get credit for that. Also, sometimes people get credit for having certain kinds of jobs. There's um, some insurance companies that give discounts to teachers, for example, or you may get a discount for carpooling, or maybe even get a discount for taking a safe driver course. Um, sometimes insurers have a special safe driver courses for teenagers in addition to the regular driver driver's ed that they can give them a pretty good discount. And then if you don't drive many miles and you consider yourself a safe driver, if you don't do a lot of hard braking and rapid acceleration, you may be able to get a discount of as much as 50% if you sign up for some of these data tracking programs um, with car insurance companies um, like Progressive Snapshot and um, State Farm Drive Safe and Save and Allstate's DriveWise. Um, kind of think first about whether you actually would get the get the big benefit from that because you are going to put a device in your car and they're going to be monitoring um, how you drive and how often you drive. But especially for people who have very low mileage, this is a way that they can get some credit for that low mileage that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And Kim, one of the other things I think that you mentioned is, is that you can also, if you're comparing rates for the same amount of coverage at several insurers, which you say that we should do, is uh, let your company know before you switch, right? That is true. And it was interesting. We did a survey of Kiplinger readers in the past year, and we had asked them if they had done this and had asked their insurance company to match the low rate that another insurer was offering them. And many of them, we were really surprised at the number that, you know, they shopped around, they were offered a lower rate for another, from another company and told their insurer, and their insurer said, we'll match it to keep you. So if you've had a good record, if you've had a good driving record, not all that many claims, um, this sometimes can work, and it sure is never worth, you know, it's always worth a try to call your company before switching because it is a lot easier to be able to stay with your current company. You may get some, you know, um, long-time customer discounts and other benefits, and they may be able to lower your rate just if you ask. And your final and seventh recommendation in your seven smart financial moves for the New Year list is save money on medical and prescription drug costs during the year. 
Well, people, no matter what kind of insurance they have, whether it's through an employer, whether it's on their own, or whether they're on Medicare, they are all paying more out of their own pockets. Um, There was a survey last year that said that the average family is paying $11,600 out of their own pockets for health insurance if you add up the premiums, deductibles, and coinsurance over the years. And some people are paying a whole lot more. Some people have very high premiums and very high deductibles. So you can't usually switch your health insurance policy in the middle of the year. Usually that's something you have to do during open enrollment in the fall. But there's a lot of things you can do once you're in that policy to help lower costs. Um, For example, things you can do with prescription drugs. You know, switching to generic drugs always can save you a lot of money. But sometimes there isn't a generic drug for what you need to take. But you can ask your doctor if there is a what they call a therapeutic equivalent where it may solve a similar issue, it may accomplish the same type of thing as the drug you're taking, but may cost a lot less under your prescription drug policy. Um, also, see if there's any, um, you know, find out from your um, insurance company whether they have preferred pharmacies. Many, especially for Medicare Part D plans, now have um, special deals with certain pharmacies, and you'll have a much lower copayment if you stick with a pharmacy that's tied with your insurance company than if you go to other pharmacies. Um, also, you know, if you're starting out a new plan this year, make sure that you know what that preferred pharmacy is before you start to, start to go get your drugs. Um, Also, there's some websites like GoodRx.com, which has a lot of drug coupons. And also, sometimes if you're buying generics, compare the cost of getting it with your insurance to getting it with cash. Um, Some places like Walmart, for example, has $4 um, generic drugs, a very long list of generic drugs for $4. And several other pharmacies and, and major stores have some deals like that as well. And the other interesting thing, again, that you pointed out to me in your notes is that you can save a lot of money, for instance, if you get x-rays at a standalone radiology center rather than at a hospital. So it's it's important to check out where you're getting your medical procedures and, and just do the cost-benefit analysis there as well. And that is right. And as people have higher deductible policies, so many people never really needed to know how much some of these procedures actually cost. And they could vary a lot, but you were still paying, you know, a fixed copayment. But now that so many people have, you know, uh, policies with deductibles of, you know, at least $1,000 or more, and even once you've gone past that deductible period, a lot of times now you're paying coinsurance rather than copayments. And that means that that's based on a percentage of the cost of the procedure rather than maybe a fixed $20 or so. You'll be paying 20% of the cost. So it's really important to know what these prices are. And a lot of times it can be pretty difficult just to ask around um, how much things cost because they cost different amounts under different health insurance plans. But first of all, check out if your health insurer has special tools that help you calculate these costs for the providers in your area, many times, you know, they can have, they have a tool where you can type in based on your specific plan and type in your zip code and they'll show you what the different facilities are charging for, you know, for the certain type of x-ray you need. Also, healthcarebluebook.com is a great resource to help you figure out what they call the fair price in your area. They have a giant database of costs of certain procedures such as a you know a knee MRI for example and they may find they've actually found for me that there are you know sometimes hundreds of dollars of difference depending on which place you go and sometimes it is the standalone radiology centers that have the much lower cost 
And sometimes it's the same radiologists that are reading the reading the x-rays as they would be at a hospital or another facility. So a lot of times you can save a lot of money if you're out-of-pocket expenses without having to sacrifice any level of care. And Kim, we always ask our guests for one recommendation, one investment or action we can take to improve our financial health. So what would yours be for us in 2018? Well, my favorite thing really is contributing to an HSA. And um, so many people have high deductible health insurance policies now, and, and they qualify to contribute to a health savings account. And there's so many misconceptions about HSAs. A lot of people think they're like the old flexible spending accounts, which some employers do still offer, um, that you have to use by the end of the year. But HSAs, you actually can keep in an account, and you can many times invest the money in mutual funds within the account, and it can grow for years and years in the future. So I think the triple tax benefits of the HSA make it a great way for you to um, to establish a large pot of money that can really help you with some of those very expensive medical expenses um, that you'll have after retirement that you really need to keep in mind when you're planning for the future. Kim, you are so terrific. I can't thank you enough for this wonderful list of seven smart financial moves for the new year. We'll put an abbreviated list up on our our website, wealthtruck.com, and you have been uh, just incredibly helpful for us to get a great financial start for the new year, and our work is cut out for us, but you've definitely simplified the process for us. So thanks so much, Kim, and, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. It's such a pleasure to work with you. And I want to thank our audience as well for listening to this Web Extra edition of Wealth Track. And we want all of you to make the year ahead a profitable and a productive one.